0: Welcome to Strong Meat for Strong Believers, I'm Pastor Doug Johnson. I want to invite you to join me as we look at the issues facing us today and what God's Word says about them. Hebrews 5, 13 and 14 says, Milk is for babies, but strong meat is for grown-ups who can discern the difference between good and evil. At the end of the broadcast, I'll tell you how you can get a copy of this message for yourself. And now, grab your Bible and get ready for another helping of Strong Meat for Strong Believers.
1: We're going to cover three chapters tonight, Revelation 7 through 9, okay? So if you're keeping notes, that's where we're going, Revelation 7 through 9. Now, where we finished up at the end of chapter 6 last time, we've gone into about about the 21st month of the tribulation period. That's about where we are on the timeline when chapter 7 begins. And, uh, you know, the tribulation period is so bad that many people will read this and wonder, why would God do that? Well, those who are left behind from the rapture are those who refused to follow Jesus during the age of grace. And these are the people who will be going through this tribulation period. Now, many people interpret Revelation differently. And, you know, again, I'm just kind of sharing my views of it. And and the way I see it may not be completely correct. The way I look at it is this. God is the only one who really knows how it's all going to turn out. And we're just studying the Word and studying uh, His book and uh, trying to find out what best we can, what's going to happen in the future. But uh, there are two things that you will see happen throughout this book regardless of how you view the revelation, there are two things that you will continue to see happen as you read through the book of Revelation. Those two things are this, disaster and the gospel. Disaster and the gospel. Those are the two things that you will definitely see. And what will happen to those people that are left behind, they'll see hell on earth and given the chance to escape hell forever. Because hell forever, my friend, is such a terrible torment and when we read through the book of Revelation, the tribulation period especially, it seems like it is a terrible, terrible time on the earth, and it is. That's why it's called the, the time of the great tribulation. It'll be a time unlike anything that has ever happened before. But the reason why it is so bad is because God is trying to shake people and wake them up and give them a chance to repent and come back to Him. Because as bad as the tribulation period is, hell is so much worse and there is no end to hell. It is forever and ever and ever. So when you look at it that way... You'll see disasters come, but you also see God giving them opportunity to accept the gospel. Again, you may wonder, well, why does God have to do these terrible things? Well, statistics tell us that there are two times in a person's life when a person is more likely to get saved. The first one is when they are young, and the second is after a disaster. Statistically speaking, that is when most people are more likely to get saved. You don't have to take my word for it. Look back at what happened at 9-11 here in America. After 9-11, churches were filled to capacity because people were afraid of the future. People were uncertain. We had just been attacked. 3,000 of our Americans were killed in this terrorist attack. Republicans and Democrats were seen praying together and singing together in church. I remember uh, seeing uh, Al Gore and George Bush and Bill Clinton sitting side by side in church praying together. I want to tell you something. When disaster comes, everybody wants to pray. I don't care if you claim to be an atheist, agnostic, it don't matter. Now listen, I'm not saying that every disaster is God's judgment. That's bad theology. But what I am saying is this. God will allow trouble to come our way if he knows it will cause people to get saved. And so that's one of the reasons that we see the tribulation period being as bad as it is. Now six of the sealed judgments have happened as we begin chapter 7. One-fourth of the world's population, those who were left behind at the rapture, are dead now. And chapter 6 ended with a question. Revelation chapter 6 verse 17 says, For the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? That's how that chapter ends. Well, chapter 7 gives us the answer to that question. So let's begin now with chapter 7 and verse 1. Till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. And I heard the number of them which were sealed, and there were sealed 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel. All right, we'll stop right there for a moment. Now we see here. At the beginning of this chapter, four angels holding back the winds of destruction or the winds of judgment. If you can imagine, hurricane force winds are getting ready to blow across the earth, but these angels are holding them back for a time. They held the winds back until the servants of God were sealed. Now that word seal means a stamp that shows authority and ownership. You know, back then, kings would use a wax seal with their signet ring to mark official documents and to mark their treasure. And that's what they had in mind when when the the angel comes with this seal. It is a stamp. It is a seal of God. And John says 144,000 people are sealed as God's property. They are safe From the judgments of God. Now there is a similar story that you can read in Ezekiel chapter 9. Totally separate from what we're talking about in Revelation. But it is a similar thing that God does. In Ezekiel 9, God is showing Ezekiel the sins that the people were committing in the temple. Now let me, I'll take you back there real quickly and I'll share with you. In in Ezekiel 9 verses 3 through 6, it says this. And the glory of the God of Israel was gone up from the cherub, whereupon he was to the threshold of the house. And he called the man clothed with linen, which had the writer's ink horn by his side. And the Lord said to him, Go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, and set a mark upon the foreheads of the men that sigh and that cry for all the abominations that are done in the midst thereof. And to the others he said in my hearing, Go ye after him through the city and smite. Let not your eyes spare, neither have you pity. Slay utterly old and young, both maids and little children and women. But come not near any man upon whom is the mark and begin at my sanctuary. Now why did God put a mark on some people and not on others? I'll tell you why. God is looking for people after his own heart who weep, when they see sin happening around them. Brothers and sisters, we need to get so close to God that what breaks his heart breaks our heart too. It should bother us that sin is happening in our nation. It should bother us that homosexuality is creeping into the churches and getting in the pulpits. It should bother us that over 63 million uh, uh, babies have been aborted since Roe versus Wade. It should bother us. That these things are happening in our country. The Bible also says when we get to heaven, that we'll have a mark on our heads as well. In Revelation 22, verse 4, it says, They shall see his face, and his name shall be in their foreheads. Hallelujah. When we get to heaven, his name is going to be marked right there. Hallelujah. As As ownership, his authority is over us. And my friends, that authority is on us now. The Bible says even now right now if you're saved you are sealed by the Holy Ghost. Did you know that? Ephesians 4:30. Listen. Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed under the day of redemption. Again, that word seal means stamp. You've got God's stamp of approval on your life. That's why when the devil looks at you, he sees it says God's property written right there. Hallelujah. And the devil can't cross the bloodline. I wish I had an amen tonight. My friend, the devil can't touch you without giving, getting God's permission first. And so believers bear a spiritual seal of the Holy Spirit right now. But the tribulation period is going to be different. This is going to be totally different. So who are these specially sealed people in the tribulation period? Now, several cult groups over the years have claimed to be these special sealed ones. But Revelation is very specific and very clear about who they are. Let's read it, verses 5 through 8. Of the tribe of Judah were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Reuben were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Gad were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Asher were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Naphtali were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Manassas were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Simeon were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Levi were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Issachar were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Zebulun were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Joseph were sealed 12,000. And of the tribe of Benjamin were sealed 12,000. Now that's pretty specific, isn't it? (laughs) Now you'll notice these were specially anointed Jews. 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes. And these are going to have a special task to complete during the tribulation period. Now, in case you missed the first uh, the, the first six chapters we talked about, you might be wondering, well, where are we at? Where's the Christians at? Well, the Christians went in the rapture. We're in heaven, all right? So if you're tra- if you're sealed by the Holy Spirit now, you're going to go in the rapture, amen? So you don't have to worry about this. But these are the people who are left behind after the rapture. Now, many people believe that these 144,000 uh, witnesses will preach the gospel during the tribulation period and thus fulfill what Jesus said in Matthew 24:14 when he said and this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations and then shall the end come now you know as well as i do the jews rejected jesus as the messiah And even though the gospel is being broadcast all over the world like never before, the Jews are still an unreached people group because for the majority of them, they still reject Jesus as their Messiah. So somebody's going to have to reach the Jews and it'll happen during the tribulation period. Dr. David Jeremiah said this, and I quote, If 12 spirit-filled Jews turn their world upside down, imagine the impact 144,000 will have, end quote. My friend, that Jesus had the 12 apostles and when they got full of the Holy Ghost on the day of Pentecost, they turned their world upside down for Jesus and my friends, these people are going to be sealed by God. You know, one of the purposes of the tribulation period is to turn the Jews back to Jesus as their Messiah. Now, you may remember from our last study that the tribulation period is the 70th week of Daniel's vision. It's also called Jacob's Trouble. Now, Zechariah the prophet prophesied about the day when the Jews see Jesus and realize what they had done to him. It's in Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10. This is what he says. And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplications. And they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. And they shall mourn for him as one mourns for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. In other words, my friends, they're going to, the Jews are going to look on Jesus, the one who they pierced, who they crucified, and they're going to realize he is our Messiah. What did we do to him? My friend, God has not broken his covenant with Abraham. Israel will return to the Lord. Hallelujah. Now, the Bible also says these witnesses are virgins, we actually read that in Revelation 14:4 4. it says these are they which were not defiled with women for they are virgins. These are they which follow the lamb wherever he goeth. These were redeemed from among men being the first fruits unto God and to the lamb. Now why is this important? I'll tell you why. Because the Jehovah's Witnesses claim that they are those witnesses spoken of in Revelation. And most of the time, you know, they go door to door, house to house. So listen, I'm giving you, you need to take notes. I'm giving you something to tell the Jehovah's Witnesses when they come to your house next time, okay? Now write this down. If they come to your house, ask them two things. Number one, are you Jewish? Because we just read specifically verses 5 through 8, the sealed ones are Jewish. Amen? Do you all get that? Secondly, ask them, are you virgin? <laughs> because the Bible is very clear. You are, these sealed ones are Jewish, and they are virgin. And if they say no to any one of these, show them these verses. You can actually dispel the lie that the devil has told them. Listen, they're being lied to. These people who believe, who are following the Jehovah's Witness, are being lied to by their leaders. Now listen, According to Jehovah's Witness website, I got this straight from their website, there are more than 8.5 million Jehovah's Witnesses worldwide. Now, it don't take more than a first-grade mathematician to understand 8.5 million is more than 144,000. So by their own admission on their website... Many of them are not going to make it to heaven by their own admission. Again, you show them these verses from the word of God. And you, these are things you can show them to tell them the truth. Because they're being lied to by their own admission on their own website. Many of them are not going to make it to heaven. 144,000, listen, but the Bible tells us if you will confess your sins to Jesus, he is faithful and who will forgive you of all your sin and he will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That means not just 144,000, that means seven and a half billion people in the world can be saved if they will repent. Give God praise if you're glad you're saved tonight. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And yet these Jehovah's Witnesses and many other cults are being lied to to think that they are the ones who are sealed. No, we haven't gotten there yet. This hasn't happened yet. It's in the future. Now these 144,000 are going to be indestructible. That's what the seal of God does. When they get sealed, they'll become indestructible. The Antichrist will not be able to stop them by any means, and the judgments of God will have no effect on them either. What a testimony to those around them that their gospel message is true. When everybody else is being judged, and they stand up, and it can't affect them, and they say, Jesus is the way, honey, that's going to get some people's attention. Hallelujah. Even, so in the middle of disaster, we see the gospel. Hallelujah. God is still a merciful God. Can I have an amen? Now, if you look closely at the listing of the 12 tribes of Israel in verses 5 through 8 that we just read, if you compare that to the list of Jacob's sons in Genesis chapter 35, verses 20 through 25, you'll notice there's one tribe missing from the Revelation list. It's the tribe of Dan. The tribe of Dan is not there. Now, some Bible scholars believe it is because the tribe of Dan never claimed its inheritance under Joshua's leadership when the Israelites moved into the promised land. And the tribe of Dan were the first tribe to turn to idol worship and forsake the Lord. It didn't just happen once, it happened over and over again. Uh, For whatever reason, I don't know why, but either way, the tribe of Dan will not be among those that are sealed witnesses during the tribulation period. So any Jew that's a descendant of the tribe of Dan, they won't be sealed. That's something else you can tell those Jehovah's Witnesses. (laughs) Now, it's also interesting, however, that there is a tribe that is included in this list, and that's the tribe of Levi. Now, that's interesting, and I'll tell you why, because Levi was the tribe that the high priest came from in the Old Testament. Now the Levites received a different inheritance during Joshua's day from the rest of the tribes. However, the tribe of Levi is included among those sealed because it is no longer the priestly tribe. Because when Jesus died on the cross, he did away with the ritualistic high priest office, and he became our great high priest who is passed into the heavens. Hebrews 4:14 says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed in the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. Hallelujah. So the tribe of Levi. It's going to be sealed in the tribulation. 12,000 of them will. Hallelujah. Praise the Lamb of God. Now let's finish the rest of the chapter starting with verse 9. After this I beheld and lo a great multitude which no man could number of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues stood before the throne and before the Lamb clothed with white robes and palms in their hands and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. And all the angels stood round about the throne, and about the elders and the four beasts, and fell before the throne on their faces, and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory, and wisdom and thanksgiving, and honor and power and might be unto our God forever and ever. Amen. And one of the elders answered, saying unto me, What are these which are arrayed in white robes? And whence came they? And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said to me, These are they which came out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Now notice these people here that John sees wearing these white robes, these are tribulation saints. It's what the angels told him specifically. He said, They have come out of great tribulation. What does this mean? That means that God's plan of redemption is working. The 144,000 are sealed, they're preaching. And John says, I saw multitudes of every nation, every tribe, and they were so many that John couldn't number them. My friend, the gospel's going out. People are getting saved, even in the tribulation period. Hallelujah. God is good. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's go on to verse 15. Therefore are they before the throne of God and serve him night and day in his temple. And he that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. Neither shall the sun light on them, nor any heat. For the lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them and shall lead them unto living fountains of waters. And God shall wipe away all tears From their eyes Hallelujah Now I want you to notice something there In verse 15 It says these tribulation saints Will serve God But you know the church Is called the bride of Christ These tribulation saints Serve the Lord But the church is the bride of Christ So does that mean That there are separate positions in heaven Possibly Possibly There seems to be a greater blessing for those who believe in Christ early and get saved now and who are part of the first resurrection. But either way, it's good to be saved. Amen? Hallelujah. Now that's Revelation 7. Let's go on to Revelation chapter 8. Now you may be thinking, now why did God make this book so challenging to understand? Why didn't he just tell us what's going to happen? I don't have the answer to that. The Bible does give us a little clue. It's in Proverbs 25, verse 2. It says, it is the glory of God to conceal a thing, but the honor of kings is to search out a matter. It is a kingly thing to search for the things of God, and guess what? We are king's kids. So that's what we're doing in this study. We are searching things out. You see, God doesn't conceal it so we can't know it. He conceals it so we'll dig for it because we learn while we dig. Did y'all bring your spiritual shovel with you tonight? Amen. That's what we're doing. We're digging and we're learning as we dig. But the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 2 verses 4 and 5, if you seek wisdom as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, then shalt thou understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Hallelujah. Seek after the things of God. Jesus himself said, Ask and you'll receive. Seek and you'll find. Knock and it shall be open unto you. Hallelujah. Can I tell you something? The reason I don't answer every question in this study is because you're supposed to dig too. It ain't right for me to do all the digging. (laughs) I love y'all, but listen, it ain't up to me. This ain't my homework assignment. Come on, y'all got to dig with me, amen? And plus, I'm still learning too. And while we're learning, the Bible warns us to avoid fruitless debates. You know what? We're not supposed to study the Word of God so we can debate one another. No. This is the sword of the Spirit that we use against the devil, not each other. The Bible also warns us that knowledge puffs up, that you can get puffed up with pride. Well, I know more about the Bible than you do. Everybody needs to listen to me. You better watch yourself. That's pride, and pride will keep you out of heaven. So avoid fruitless debates, and don't get puffed up with pride. Stay humble. Don't argue with each other, and let's just dig together. Amen? Let's learn as we dig. The great A.W. Tozer once said this, and I quote, how tragic that we in this dark day have had our seeking done for us by our teachers, end quote. You know, that's how so many people are led astray by false teaching because they won't search the scripture for themselves. They just take the preacher's word for it. And can I tell you something? That is the most dangerous thing that you can do. I tell you what, listen, I do my best to give you the word of God, but don't ever take just my word for it. Find out for yourself. See if it lines up with the word of God. Because if it don't, it ain't of God. I had a woman who goes to church all the time, not here, but she goes to a church all the time. And she sent me a, a message on Facebook one time. It was a private message, and she asked me this question. She said, how do you know if you're saved? Now, this is a woman who goes to church all the time, many years But she's asking me, how do you know if you're saved? And so I message her back and I say, the Bible says, confess your sins to Jesus. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you shall be saved. Confess your belief and then live for him. And here's what she said. I thought being saved was seeking out the old paths and walking therein. That was what the church she attended told her. That being saved is seeking out the old paths and walking therein. Well, what does that mean? Depending on the church you're attending, that can mean any number of things. It can mean you've got to be a member of their church to go to heaven. It can mean you've got to be baptized. To go to, it can mean you've got to be filled with the Holy Ghost to go to heaven. There's so many things. My friend, confess your sins to Jesus. Believe that God raised him from the dead and you shall be saved. Hallelujah. But see, that's an example of what I was saying. People take the preacher's word for it, and that's the worst thing you can do. Read the Bible for yourself and find the answers for yourself. Hallelujah. So chapter 7 was kind of a break in the chaos of the tribulation period. Chapter 8 picks up with Jesus opening the seventh seal. You remember those seals that were, that were sealed, that had the scroll sealed up? Six of them have been opened, but the seventh one hasn't been opened yet, So let's go to chapter 8 and verse 1. And when he had opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about the space of half an hour. There was silence in heaven for 30 minutes. Now think about that. At the end of chapter seven, there were loud shouts of praise and everyone is is giving praise to God. The, The elders and the beasts and all the multitude that you couldn't number were praising God. I mean, all of heaven was shaking under their praise and then the seventh seal is open and everybody goes quiet for 30 minutes. Why do you think they do that? Well, it could be because silence is the sound of awe and humility. It could be the time to think and waiting for what's coming next. Now one might ask, is this 30 minutes our time or God's time? Because the Bible says in Second Peter 3, 8, Beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. Well, if that's true, what do you think 30 minutes is God's time? <laughs> it, could be, it could be years. You know, we don't know. So you might think, well, is this 30 minutes earthly time or is it 30 minutes God time? Well, the timeline given by John as he wrote the book of Revelation seems to go according to our earthly timetable. For example, the tribulation period is for seven years our time. The millennial reign of Christ is for a thousand years our time. And look again at verse 1. It says specifically half an hour. So, what is half an hour? It is 30 minutes our time. So, it's safe to say that heaven will be silent for 30 minutes our time. And so, after all the praise and everything, the seal is opened and there is silence. Everything goes quiet for 30 minutes. That's going to be awkward, isn't it? But what it is, it's setting the stage for the next seven judgments that are coming. Look at verse 2. And I saw the seven angels which stood before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. And another angel came and stood at the altar, having a golden censer. And there was given unto him much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense which came with the prayers of the saints ascended up before God out of the angel's hand. So this angel is offering the saints' prayers up with incense. It is a sweet smell before God. That's enough to make you rethink your prayer life, ain't it? Your prayers smell good to God. God wants you to pray. He loves it when you pray. He loves it when you seek His face. Now, I want to remind you of something else in the Old Testament in the temple. The golden altar of incense comes right before the mercy seat of God. And the golden altar of incense was where they offered it up before the Lord just before they came to the mercy seat. And the mercy seat is where the sins are forgiven, the sacrifice is made. You know, if you remember, one of the gifts that the wise men gave to Jesus was frankincense. Frankincense was found in southern Arabia, Ethiopia, and Egypt. It is a sticky white gum taken from the Boswellia tree. When the tree's bark is cut, it covers the tree in clear lumps the size of hen's eggs that can be burned as incense. The word frank means clear or strong, hence the word frank, incense. It has a strong sweet odor and was also used as an antiseptic to heal open cuts, to fight bacteria and infections. It was good for bronchitis and lung infections. You would light it and breathe it in. And so when they were giving their gifts to Jesus, they were giving him practical things to even help with his, uh, with his and Mary and Joseph's bodies if they were to get sick. It could also be chewed as a gum to fight bad breath and tooth decay. <laughs> and it was worth about $500 a pound. The trees were so sacred that the farmers who grew them were told to keep themselves pure from sin, especially while harvesting the incense. Frankincense is mentioned 15 times in the Old Testament, and burning frankincense was a reminder to the people of how their prayers reached God and how sweet they smelled to him. Now wait till you see what the angel does with that incense. Are you ready? Look at verse 5. And the angel took the censer and filled it with fire of the altar and cast it into the earth... And there were voices and thunderings and lightnings and an earthquake. So the angel takes fire from the altar of God puts it in the censer with the prayers of the saints and hurls it back to God, which causes massive thunder and lightning and an earthquake. Can you imagine your prayers that you've sent up to God are going to be thrown back to the earth? Hallelujah. God has heard all your prayers. I mean prayers like, Lord, do whatever it takes to save my loved ones. Lord, you go get them. Whatever it takes, Lord, turn them back to you. And that's exactly what he's going to do during the tribulation period because there are some people who won't bow their knee to the Lord until they have no other choice to. And that's exactly what we see in the tribulation period. You know, Jesus knew that Saul would have to be blinded on the Damascus Road before he would change, and that's exactly what Jesus did. And he turned him around, called him Paul, and he became uh, one of the greatest pastors in history. And so when he throws the censer down, this prepares For the seven angels to blow their seven trumpets of judgment upon the wickedness of mankind. Now these next seven judgments are worse than the seven seal judgments. But I want you to notice something as you read these. That God puts limits on the amount of damage that each one can produce. And these limits show us that Satan is not in control during the tribulation period. God is. And he is trying to get people to wake up and repent. All right, let's read verse 6. And the seven angels which had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. And the first angel sounded and there followed hail and fire mingled with blood and they were cast upon the earth and the third part of trees was burnt up and all the green grass was burnt up. All right, so the first trumpet sounds and hail and fire mixed with blood start raining down on people. One third of the trees are burnt up. All the green grass is burnt up now, some people, as they go through this book of Revelation, some Bible scholars think this might be a nuclear bomb blast that has set off. I don't know. Uh, they, they say that a nuclear test back in the 1950s rained down fire and hail. Uh, you know, I don't know. All I know is that what we're reading here has not happened yet, and so it's still in the future. Look at verse 8. And the second angel sounded, and as it were, a great mountain burning with fire was cast into the sea. And the third part of the sea became blood. And the third part of the creatures which were in the sea and had life died. And the third part of the ships were destroyed. When the second trumpet sounds, a mountain on fire destroys one-third of the ocean life, turns the sea into blood destroying one-third of the ships, and, of course, that will affect the imports and the exports, and that's on top of the famine from the third seal judgment, so now there's going to be even less food for the people of the earth. Now, some think that this mountain on fire, this might be a massive volcano that falls into the sea. I don't know. It could be. It says a mountain that's on fire. That sounds like a volcano, don't it? But either way, judgment is coming down hard, and one thing's for sure, there will be no mistaking when these things happen. That's why we know they haven't happened yet because one-third of the ocean life has not died. But can you imagine when that happens, all the sea creatures come floating up at the top. Can you imagine the stench and, 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 and the effect it has on the water supply and on the ships and the imports and the exports? It's going to be bad, folks. Look at Verse 10. The third angel sounded and there fell a great star from heaven burning as it were a lamp and it fell upon the third part of the rivers and upon the fountains of water. And the name of the star is called Wormwood and the third part of the waters became Wormwood and many men died of the waters because they were made bitter. All right, so when the third trumpet sounds, a burning meteor called Wormwood falls from space and hits the rivers and contaminates them. According to the World Health Organization, 50% of the world today is affected by disease from bad water. Imagine what will happen when this wormwood meteor hits the rivers and contaminates the drinking water. Now, wormwood is a plant. It is a bitter root, and in the Ukraine, they call it Chernobyl. If you know your history, you know that Chernobyl was the location of the largest nuclear power accident to date. So some say that this judgment happened with the Chernobyl nuclear plant meltdown. But again, this judgment will affect one-third of all the fresh drinking water in the world, not just one country. So this has not happened yet. But it's interesting that Wormwood, another name for Wormwood, is Chernobyl. This is going to be bigger than Chernobyl ever was. Look at verse 12. The fourth angel sounded and the third part of the sun was smitten, the third part of the moon and the third part of the stars. So as the third part of them was darkened and the day shone not for a third part of it, and the night likewise, and I beheld and heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth by reason, Of the other voices of the trumpet of the three angels which are yet to sound. So when the fourth trumpet sounds, there's darkness as the sun, moon, and stars are affected with this one. Now, this could mean that the power of the sun, moon, and stars will be reduced by one third, or it could mean that the 24 hour cycle of day and night will be shortened to 16 hours. That If that is what happens, that will also fulfill what Jesus said in Matthew 24, when he said, And except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. So is that what it means? I don't know. You dig it. <laughs> you dig and find out. But either way, either way, all the solar power devices around the world are going to be affected by what happens in the sky on this fourth trumpet. And chapter 8 ends with a warning to those on the earth for what's about to come their way. Now you might be wondering, why doesn't God just skip the end and get it over with? Well, Hebrews twelve twenty seven talks about God shaking things up. So the things that cannot be shaken will remain and people will see what is really worth living for. God is saying during this time, let go of the temporary things and come to me. But there are so many people who just won't let go. And so we continue to Revelation chapter 9. Have you ever wondered what does it take to get someone to repent? Have you ever fought against someone's stubbornness? Ask a parent of a strong-willed child <laughs> what a stubborn child is What is like. I mean, all it takes is an apology to fix the problem, but they won't give it. They won't budge because of their strong will. You know, repentance is found throughout the Bible, and it simply means to change your mind. And when you change your mind and you come to God, God will then change your heart. Saying we're sorry doesn't always change us, but repentance will change us. Repentance means being sorry for what you've done and being sorry enough to quit doing it. That's what repentance means. So how does God deal with a person's stubbornness? You know, God wants everyone to be saved, but he won't force anybody to get saved. So what does God do? Well, Romans chapter 2, verse 4 tells us, Despise not the riches of his goodness and mercy and patience, knowing the goodness of God leads us to repentance. Right now, we have mercy and grace and kindness and love from the Lord. And many people are being saved because God's kindness leads them. But what if kindness doesn't work? Well, that's what we're seeing here in the book of Revelation. Revelation. After the drinking bitter water and the sun and moon are darkened and the water turns to blood, stars are falling from the sky and demon horsemen, the people still refuse to repent. And my friend, the judgments are only half over. Chapter 9 shows the reality of demons and the hardness of the human hearts. Let's begin with chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. The fifth angel sounded and I saw a star fall from heaven to the earth. And to him was given the key of the bottomless pit. And he opened the bottomless pit. And there arose a smoke out of the pit as the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened by reason of the smoke of the pit. So when the fifth trumpet sounds, notice the star is referred to as he and him. So this gives us a clue that this is not just some meteor that fell out of the sky. This is not just some lump of rock. There, it's a person. It's personified. This is talking about the supernatural, the demonic and the angelic. He was given the key to the bottomless pit. Now this bottomless pit here is also called the abyss. Now we have heard of this before. Let me remind you of where it is. It's in Luke chapter 8. When Jesus, you remember when Jesus came to the Gadarenes and the man with the legion of demons came and met him and he began to cast the legion out and the demons began talking to Jesus and in Luke chapter 8 verse 31, listen to what it says. And they begged him that he would not command them to go out into the deep. That word deep, the the Greek word for deep there is the abyss or bottomless pit. They were begging that Jesus would not send them to what we're reading here in Revelation chapter 9. Let's keep reading. Verse 3. And there came out of the smoke locusts upon the earth and unto them was given power as the scorpions of the earth have power. And it was commanded them that they should not hurt the grass of the earth, neither any green thing nor any tree, but only those men which have not the seal of God in their foreheads. And to them it was given that they should not kill them, but that they should be tormented five months. And their torment was as the torment of a scorpion when he strikes a man. And in those days shall men seek death and shall not find it, and shall desire to die, and death shall flee from them. Now notice these demon locusts are told what not to do. Unlike regular locusts, they don't hurt any green tree or any green thing. They only go after people who were not part of the 144,000 Jews that were sealed by God. And notice also, they're not allowed to kill anybody, only torment them. Now these limitations that God places on these creatures show that God is in full control of what's happening in the tribulation period. And even though they're demonic, their power is like the torment of earthly scorpions. Now, in a scorpion, there are two glands in the tail of a scorpion that emit a poison that produces a painful but usually not lethal wound. Scorpion venom feels like your veins and nervous system are on fire for a couple days. This is what it's going to feel like when these demon locusts come. However, did you notice how long it will last? These will last up to five months. Can you imagine feeling like the veins and the in your nervous system are on fire? Can you feel like, can you imagine, feel like you're burning from the inside out, not for a day or two, but for five months? My friend, it'll feel like hell on earth. It'll feel like you're burning from the inside out and people will want to die. I don't want to be here, do you? Notice again at verse 6, it says, death shall flee from them. This means during this time, suicides are not allowed. People will try to kill themselves. They will try to escape from the woes coming on the earth by killing themselves, but it won't work. God will keep them alive. Why? Can you imagine people trying to shoot themselves and the gun won't work? Can you imagine someone taking a full bottle of pills and nothing happening? Can you imagine somebody drop it, jumping out of a tall building, hitting the ground, and not dying, but they break every bone in their body and they're laying there with bones sticking out of their skin and still they got to endure the judgments of God laying there? My God. What a time. I don't want to be here, my friend. And now they have to face the judgments of God. Listen, this is not a fairy tale. It is going to happen. It is going to come to pass. You don't want to be left behind when the rapture takes place. Honey, if there's any doubt in your mind, whether you would go to heaven tonight or when the rapture takes place, you need to fall on your face before God wherever you're hearing this message and say, God, forgive me, I'm a sinner. Wash me clean with your precious blood because I want to be ready when you come back. They'll want to die, but they won't be able to. Again, why would God do this? Again, they're facing hell on earth to save them from hell for eternity. Burning for five months, feeling like, not really burning, but feeling like you're on fire for five months compared to literally burning for eternity, that's Nothing. That's a good deal. That's still the mercy of God if you look at it that way. Look at verse 7. And the shapes of the locusts were like unto horses prepared to battle. And on their heads were, as it were, crowns like gold. And their faces were as the faces of men. And they had hair as the hair of women. And their teeth were as the teeth of lions. And they had breastplates, as it were, breastplates of iron. And the sound of their wings was as a sound of chariots of many horses running to battle. And they had tails like unto scorpions, and there were stingers in their tails, and their power was to hurt men five months. And they had a king over them, which is the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in the Hebrew tongue is Abaddon, but in the Greek tongue hath this name, Apollyon. One woe is past, and behold, there come two woes more hereafter." And notice the king of the locusts' name is Abaddon and Apollyon. Both those names means destroyer. Who is the one who comes to kill, steal, and destroy? What's his name? Satan. Satan is the king of the locusts. So we know for sure that these are demonic creatures that are allowed on the earth for a short time. And notice It's about to get worse than this because two more woes are still to come. Look at verse 13. And the sixth angel sounded, I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, saying to the sixth angel, which had the trumpet, loose the four angels which are bound in the great river Euphrates. And the four angels were loosed, which were prepared for an hour and a day and a month and a year. For to slay the third part of men. And the number of the army of the horsemen were two hundred thousand thousand, and I heard the number of them. And thus I saw the horses in the vision, and them that sat on them having breastplates of fire, and of jacinth and brimstone. And the heads of the horses were as the heads of lions, and out of their mouths issued fire, and smoke, and brimstone. By these three was the third part of men killed by the fire and by the smoke and by the brimstone which issued out of their mouths. For their power is in their mouth and in their tails. For their tails were like unto serpents and had heads and with them they do hurt. So when the sixth trumpet sounded, there were four angels or demons that had been bound in the Euphrates River and they are released in order to kill one third of the remaining population of the earth. Now before that, you remember that one-fourth of the world's population was killed by the horsemen of death during the seal judgments. And when you combine that seal judgment with this trumpet judgment, this means half of the world's population is dead just by those two judgments alone. That's not including those that were killed by the war and by the famine and by the diseases. Half the world's population is wiped out just by those two judgments. Now, notice the army that John talks about. It is very specific the number of this army. The army is made up. He says two hundred thousand thousand. If you write that down in your notes, two hundred thousand thousand—that's two hundred million. Two hundred million. Now, the way he describes them, it's unlike any humans that I know of, and so Bible scholars differ on who these people are and what these this army is about. Uh, They could be humans, they could be demons, they could be demon-possessed humans. I don't know. You can dig that out and find out more for yourself. But here's what I want to focus on. Two hundred million. This is more troops than has been in any other battle, and more people than there were in John's day when he had this vision. Now China has claimed that they have that many in their army right now. Some Bible scholars say that this is the Chinese army that's going to come and going to come across and the Euphrates River uh, is is going to dry up and they're going to come marching. And we'll read more about that later on. I don't know. We'll get into it. But here's the thing. John says the horses have heads like lions and out of their mouths come fire, smoke, and brimstone. Some people think that he is describing tanks. But, you know, back then they didn't have tanks, so he's just describing the best way he knows how or some other mechanized weapon. I don't know. Again, we don't know how it's going to turn out, but it's just, you know, John is seeing this stuff in a vision, and he's seeing them, and I believe these these horsemen and these horses are symbolic. But I do know for sure there is an army coming, and we know the number of the army and the troops. We know that for a fact, and so it is going to happen. Look at verse 20, 20 and 21. And the rest of the men which were not killed by these plagues yet repented not of the works of their hands that they should not worship devils and idols of gold and silver and brass and stone and of wood which neither can see nor hear nor walk. Neither repented they of their murders nor of their sorceries nor of their fornication nor of their thefts. Did you get that? After everything we have read, mankind still refuses to repent. The religion of many during this time will involve demonic worship and idol worship. That's what verse 20 is talking about. And in verse 21, it says they refuse to repent of their sorceries. Now, the Greek word for that word sorcery right there is pharmakia. It's where we get our English word pharmacy. And where do you, what do you get from a pharmacy? You get drugs. And so what John is saying here, he's saying the people refuse to quit their drugs. They refuse to quit worshiping demons. They refuse to quit worshiping idols. They refuse to quit killing others. They refuse to quit stealing. They refuse to repent at all. After everything, after burning, after feeling like they're on fire for five months, they refuse to repent. They refuse having an army of 200 million coming at them. They refuse to repent. How hard of a heart they will have. And you know what, church? We're seeing the beginning of it now. What do people say to you now? Don't judge me. Can I tell you something? I don't have to judge you, God can, and He will. That's what we're reading here in Revelation. God is the judge and he will judge. There is coming a reckoning day. What do other people say? I was born this way. I can't help it. Let me tell you something. We were all born sinners. Yes, we are. But Jesus said you can be born again. You don't have to stay that way. Hallelujah. That's how you tell people when they tell you I was born this way. Look at them and say, you could be born again. You can start over. Jesus gives you another start. Hallelujah. One final scripture I'll share with you as I close. Jesus explained these hard-hearted people this way in Luke chapter 7, verses 31 and 32. And the Lord said, Whereunto then shall I liken the men of this generation? And to what are they like? They are likened to children sitting in the marketplace and calling one to another and saying, We have piped unto you, and you have not danced. We have mourned to you, and you have not wept. In other words, he says, we tried everything. We tried happy songs, and you wouldn't dance. We tried sad songs, and you wouldn't respond to that either. We tried everything. You just refuse to respond. And that's what Jesus said these people are going to be like in the tribulation period. My friend, God has shown these people grace and mercy and he has shown them judgment and punishment, yet they won't repent. They have seen the best side of God before the rapture and they've seen the worst side of God during the tribulation period and nothing changes them. Some people may ask, well, why doesn't God just judge everybody at one time? Well, even through these judgments, God is still trying to save the lost And each judgment that comes, it's a wake-up call warning those that are left on the earth to repent before something worse comes. And yet some people will just harden their hearts more. Just like Pharaoh in Egypt when Moses tried to lead Israel out. God had to send ten plagues upon Egypt before Pharaoh would finally let them go. And then when he did let them go, what did he do? He changed his mind again and he chased them down to the Red Sea. And God drowned him and his whole army in the Red Sea. There are some people whose hearts are so hard they will not get saved. No matter what God does, no matter what you say, no matter how hard you pray, but brothers and sisters, we need to pray for him anyway because right now is the time to repent. Now the door of grace and mercy is still open and I pray that you get copies of this CD and pass about to all your unsaved loved ones. Tell them it's coming and I want you, I want you to go to heaven with me. I don't want you to be here when this stuff happens because it is It is going to happen, not because I said it or because John wrote it, but because God said it's coming. And my friend, when God says it's coming, it's coming.
0: This has been Strong Meat for Strong Believers. If this broadcast was a blessing to you, I would love to hear from you. You can email me at revivalfire29 at yahoo.com or call me at 964-5333 and visit Raven Assembly of God's website at ravenag.org and find out more information about our church. This is Pastor Doug Johnson reminding you to keep your head up. God is on your side. And join me next time for more Strong Meat for Strong Believers.